0: Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. Good morning, everyone. And the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. What makes a woman brave? We know the huge capacity for compassion that women have. And when the chips are down, a woman draws upon her resources to find a strength that can surprise the strongest man. If you look at the great heroines of opera and fiction, you find a dogged strength when a woman takes on a seemingly impossible task— For instance, Leonora in the superb opera Fidelio by Beethoven. With her husband in chains for an unjust political political crime, she masquerades as a man to gain the trust of his jailer so she can find access to him and eventually free him. Women know the odds, and they are natural risk takers. I have, as my guest today, a heroine who, like Leonora and Fidelio, has transcended numerous challenges. In fact, in reading about her, I envision a sword and shield in her hands as she fights for the rights of many around her. You will remember this woman as the child actor who played Aaron on the beloved television show The Waltons. I am speaking of Mary McDonough, actor, activist, leader of the campaign to inform women about the potential dangers of silicone breast implants, advocate for child actors, life coach, author, and film director. Little Erin has grown up and become a Renaissance woman. In 2011, Mary McDonough wrote the book Lessons from the Mountain, What I Learned from Erin Walton. It describes the reality of life on and off screen while growing up on screen. The Walton's creator, Earl Hamner, says of her book, she's a radiant woman whose truth comes from within. If I had to pick one word that describes Mary Beth, it would be resilience. And I have Mary Beth here on center stage this morning, and I can't wait to speak to this fascinating woman and hear about her new book, the House on Honeysuckle Lane. Good morning, Mary Beth McDonough, and welcome to the World of Center Stage.
1: Wow. Thank you, Pamela. That was fantastic. I think I have to play that for myself
0: as a little mantra every morning. And why not? And <laughs> the I... best intro ever. Thank oh, you best. so much. <laughs> Thank you. I'm drawing upon my own world. But, you know, in, in the world of opera, there are so many heroines that will literally walk through fire to find a sense of justice. And reading about you and, wow, looking beyond Aaron on the Waltons is quite incredible, Mary. Thank you, thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah, I do feel like I've gone through the fire <laughs> through um, a couple of you know, different different times in
0: my life. You have been through many, many fires, but let let's start with with your beginnings because I, I have to ask the first question, which is an obvious one to me and and probably to my listeners. How did you come to acting as a child?
1: I was a dancer, oh. and I was not really I was not trained as an actor, and I. Um, I was, you know, doing dance in, in Los Angeles, and whenever you're doing anything creative there, people always say, oh, does she have an agent? Do you have mm-hmm. an agent? <laughs> and I just wanted to be on, you know, Kool-Aid commercials doing cartwheels and dancing. <laughs> and um, then I got a, you know, went to some phony agents. My mom and I we finally got a real one and never went out on any auditions until the homecoming came up, and they saw every kid actor in town and every redhead. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was my
1: very first audition and wow. I got it. Oh,
0: my and gosh. And less than a year later came the show. <gasps> how amazing. I'll never forget the homecoming. It was Patricia, Patricia Neal was Yes, Olivia. it was. And I, I remember how profound it was, how, how the aura of the show was so, so right. It was so good. It was so strong.
1: It, it was. The Earl Hamner just created a masterpiece,
0: and he he just
1: brought in the best writers and wonderful actors mm-hmm. and it was just a phenomenal you know history making show
0: well it was especially too at a time when shows were going in a different direction you know this was this the waltons was not cynical was it at all i mean it was it was just the obvious um, it was it, you know, it was community have
1: said based but we don't really mm. we think that those people probably never really watched
0: the show <laughs> Oh, I never thought it was saccharine, no. I think we knew Yeah, I thought it. it was just too sweet and too nice. But we dealt with real issues that are still so valid
1: today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we dealt with, you know, hatred and bigotry and um, illiteracy and education that's right. and racism and, you know, and, war. And, that's right. It, I mean, it, drug addiction, you know, domestic abuse. We all of it. We had it all on the show. You really and it was did. we really did. And and so um and, and not in a cynical way. I mean one of the things I always say about the show is that you know, why it's still so popular today and I have to remind people sometimes on my Facebook page when <laughs> little battles break out that the Waltons were always dealing with other Mm-hmm. people who were not like them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. while they had a hard time with it at first, they all dealt with it in their own way, but as they got to know the people and the humans and the situation, they had an understanding and an empathy for people, and they usually learned great lessons mm-hmm. about what was different. And Always. that's kind of the
0: Walton way. I, it's so beautiful. And I understand that your experience in the series was one of camaraderie with your fellow actors and still remains to be so.
1: Very much so. We're all like family. I just talked to Eric on the phone yesterday. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and John Wamsley called me last week oh. just to check in and say hi and, and- Judy and I were always texting and yeah, we're all we're all in touch all the time. And we have reunions marvelous. with our fans often. So it's really, really nice.
0: So the Waltons gave you everything really as a beginning. But tell us tell us how hard was it to be so young to have nine years, you know, of, of wow, growing up on screen. How this is visible? I mean, as you changed as a child, how difficult was that or how great was it? It was both.
1: It was really fun and unique and special, and, and just, you know, it changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. And it was also, um, as I got older, you know, we, our roles were defined as such, and Aaron was the middle daughter, and I was too in my, in my family. So, and Aaron, like Mary Ellen was strong, and she was sassy and a tomboy, mm-hmm. and Elizabeth was smart and the little baby, and Aaron was like nothing. She was pretty, mm-hmm. it was, so I felt an incredible pre- pressure to to be pretty, and that that mm-hmm. was my value, and that was very um, uh, it was very tough for me because I didn't really feel pretty, really? and then what I had to do, you know, to fit into society's image of what pretty is, mm-hmm. um, was really hard for me because I I was not a tiny person, and you know, and eventually I started to develop body image issues and did radical diets and yo-yo dieting and starvation things. And I, you know, I didn't know what my value was because I was there. It was constantly about Aaron's in a beauty contest and she loses and Aaron is this and she, and she loses. Oh, and she does that with, for her vanity and grandma's mad at matter. You know?
0: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: Oh, so it became, you know, something that I kind of took on mm-hmm. and being pretty meant to me bad. It oh, must be wow. bad.
0: Oh my gosh! So how did this manifest itself in, in your body, in your own, in your own confidence?
1: That what I looked like was my value, and I felt like I had more inside, and I I kind of had a hole. I mean, which mm-hmm. all, all of us do. What I found out is that I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. speaking and doing, you know, writing my book and doing workshops and being a coach, I realized that. Everybody felt the same way I did. I just never told anybody, and I just ne- and I felt so alone. I had a hole inside of me that I kept trying to fill, and I wanted to fill it with warm M M&M and M cookies. But
0: <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> don't we all, Mary? And it's right? but it's tough.
1: So I still do sometimes. But that what started to happen was I I never told anybody how scared and terrified I felt all the time at constantly doing new things, from you know learning how to act to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spending more time with the show, people than I did my family, and missing my friends. And going back and forth to school was hard because I didn't really know anybody there. And mm-hmm. here I was this girl who came from TV, and I was only there a couple months a year. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt this incredible pressure to be perfect.
0: Oh, wow. This is a big problem for all young ladies, isn't it, really? And yeah. um, and now you speak uh, about girls with, with body issue um, problems, don't you?
1: I do. I have a workshop called um, Body Branding, Getting Ooh. Comfortable with the Skin You're In. Mm-hmm. And I I work with girls and boys about the pressure of society that society puts on us. And now, especially with, you know, Facebook and social media, that right. we have to look a certain way. And we're supposed to, you know, always be posting these photos of ourselves. and um, But there was there was that pressure to be perfect. And, and now, you know, I've realized that there are is no perfection. But oh back gosh. then it was very painful for me because I tried so hard to fit in and I never felt successful.
0: And I understand that the actor John Ritter gave you some very good advice about that.
1: He saved my life. Really? Let's hear. He, I was on the set, and I was really like even Richard Thomas, who played John Boy, read the book and said, "How come you never told anyone?" of said, "How come <laughs> I never saw this? Was I so so upset really? I didn't see you were miserable?" Wow. And I said, "Well, you know, John Ritter did." And one day he came to me, and he said, "You're really upset." And I said, "I am." And he told me to that he had been journaling for years, and that I should write a journal. Mm-hmm. And that night I went out to the store. We were on location filming. My mom took me to a little store, and I bought a spiral notebook, and I started writing that night, and I have not stopped since.
0: Oh, that's wonderful! And of course, that's made you the writer you are today, hasn't it?
1: Partially, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Being around great writing uh, all my life has has helped too, and I'm Mm -hmm, an avid mm -hmm. reader, and um, and I just have always written, you know, since I was young, Mm -hmm. and. My memoir, Lessons from the Mountain, What I Learned from Aaron Walton, starts with a poem I wrote when I was probably about eight, Mm -hmm. about a butterfly. And um, I took some of my journal writings from, you know, from that time in those journals and I I actually put them in the book just so people would get a sense of, you know, this is is what I looked like and this is what it seemed like and this
0: is how I really felt. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, this is so beautiful. Well, I'm oh, so glad you're you. sharing this with us. And so after the Waltons, and you went on acting, of course, uh, and um, you found that the world really wanted uh, a sexual image for women. It was the time of big hair and and t- to be a certain body type. And, and you had breast implants along the way that eventually became a serious health complication for you.
1: I did. I just wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And... And when it became, you know, the Dallas era, the, you know, the big hair and big boobs, and, <laughs> and um, and and my wow. actress actress friends were starting to have breast implants, and of course at the time it was when they said, oh yeah, they're perfectly safe and healthy, and they'll last a lifetime, and and not a problem, and you know, and so I I wanted to compete and the best I could for my industry and my Mm -hmm. body image was pretty warped at the time so I ended Mm -hmm. up having silicone gel breast implants but instead of helping my career they almost ended my life I got really really sick Mm -hmm. over the course of time there's a latency issue with silicone gel breast implants and um, it triggered what I believe is the immune response in my body that has now led me to be diagnosed with lupus
0: I'm so sorry And and I I know this is true because I'm an avid watcher of of a show on Animal Planet called Monsters Inside Me, as crazy as it sounds. But they have done at least three episodes about women who have become chronically ill for years Mm -hmm. after their breast implants leak silicone into their system. Yep. It broke down their entire lives and their immune system. So you are right on there. And now you're helping to raise women's awareness about all the potential harms.
1: Yeah, I have been for over 20 years. Um, no. when I, So when I first had my implants removed, I did go public about it. It wasn't something that was comfortable that I wanted to do, but I, I felt like it happened for a reason, and that I you know wanted to make good lemonade. So I started to become <laughs> an advocate on the issue, and you know it was you know a lot of opposition you know on television oh, and from doctors course. and yeah. the, and the industry and the implant makers. but um, I found my own voice by helping mm-hmm. other women have a voice on this not very popular issue. And, it, it, and I've been doing it ever since, and it's, it always is horrifying to me. It, on my website, I get letters from people who are still getting sick, and they'll say, where were you? How come you didn't talk about this? Oh. Say, I've said, i been talking about this for over 20 years, and I lobbied Congress for a safe implant for 15 years and testified at the FDA hearings and you know, really was trying to get something that would work for women.
0: Wow. Wow. So
1: I'm not I always say I'm not anti implant, but I am pro education and yes. women taking their the bull by the horns.
0: Um, they have to know the risks. You have to know the risks. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you can't you can't get a clean mammogram to for cancer screening sometimes. Mm-hmm. You need extra angle shot. You need to know what you know even even the FDA's own scientists during um one set of hearings, they're they're studies started to show an immune response to silicone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Of course, Uh that was all shut down, and they were pushed through approval. But, um, but yeah, you have to really take responsibility. And when I, you know, first got them, none of the information that we have now was out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they need to be replaced. And they, you know, there's not a lifetime um, product.
0: Mm -hmm. But for me, the
1: biggest thing was like, I tried to fill the hole inside of me again. And this time by putting gelatinous masses into my chest, thinking that that was going to make me whole. Mm -hmm. And of course now I know different and, and it sort of, it has kind of become my life's work in a way to help educate people about themselves and have communication skills. And it's what I
0: do as a coach. You know, it's interesting how little Erin now has grown up to be this life coach, literally kind of almost being um, a Pied Piper of, you know, helping others with uh, their bodies, with lupus understanding. And I know, don't you run Lupus Los Angeles? I was
1: the founding um, president of Lupus LA, yes.
0: Mm -hmm. Good for you. And where are you now with the disease, Mary?
1: I am actually, um, I have mild lupus now. And I'm in a remission stage. So I've been, my health is so much better now than it was in my 20s and 30s.
0: Oh, I'm so thrilled to hear this. Congratulations. Yeah. The
1: farther I get away, I had my implants removed over 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. the farther I get away from having those in my body and doing detox and that, that sort of thing, the better I get.
0: Does, is silicon something that just uh, eventually disappears within the body or can it all be now, removed or...
1: No, it's like a snail's trace.
0: Wow! I'm So, So if sorry. you've ever
1: felt an implant, you'll just see how the, they feel oily, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: or like that. Like imagine you know that people, there's those silicone products that people put in their hair right now mm-hmm. to kind of for right. flyaways. Make you, all the rest of the, the day, your hand still sort of has that oily that feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And imagine if that's in your bloodstream.
0: How no, get I can't. I can't. And I'm glad they're out of you. Now, Me you too. you have continued acting and you even had a recurring role in The New Adventures of Old Christine. I'm so happy to see you on TV again. Oh, um, thank you.
1: I love doing that show. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus <laughs> is the, the nicest, most graceful woman ever.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. That's so brilliant. But, she, but you've also been directing, and you, you directed a short film called For the Love of May, starring the great actress Patricia Neal from The Homecoming in the Waltons. Yes, and my
1: other mother, Michael Learned, and uh-huh. Alexander Paul, uh-huh. and Alison Arngrum, and RuPaul. Was yes, of, that's the right. The only man in it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Makes the most yeah, beautiful woman, it, though, in the world, I tell you. RuPaul exactly. does.
1: Exactly, and yeah, it was based on a it was a short film um, based on a, a script that I had written mm-hmm. about finding uh, a lost love.
0: Mm. And so, and, how, yeah. how much of you is in all your books and, and your, your scripts? and All over the place,
1: <laughs> you know. For the Love of May is about three generations of women, and and dealing with the idea of waiting for Mr. Wright. And so I felt like I waited for Mr. Wright for a very long time or was always looking for him. Mm -hmm. And and then, um, of course, I'm all over my memoir. And then my two novels, the first one is called One Year, and it is about um, three generations of of women and uh, dealing with a very strong matriarch.
0: Mm-hmm. These women
1: marry into this Irish Catholic family. I was raised Irish, <laughs> I am Irish, and I was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and I haven't had a lot of strong women in my life. So it's sort of, you know, Mary Bernadette is a compilation of those women and, and you know, trying women trying to get along and communicate and see how they can be... Together as a family, and still feel independent and have a voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, and then the house on honeysuckle lane is about a family that comes together after the um, the death of the second parent, and having to go through the house and reconcile your emotions, your your place in the family, and your attachment to each other, to stuff, Mm -hmm. and to your parents. Wow. And I have lived through that as well.
0: Of course. Tell me now, was your mom a stage mom? Um,
1: not really. I mean, she loved to go on all the trips and everything that mm-hmm. she, I got to do. But she also was a working mom. And she oh. worked in my dad's business, our family business. So I had guardians on the set.
0: Oh, I see. My mom was a, an independent woman. And mm-hmm. she worked. Uh-huh. Well, in, you've inherited that independence, haven't you, and that feistiness. I'm sure.
1: Definitely, <sighs> she was a good role model that way.
0: That's wonderful. So, tell me this: do you do you love to be behind the camera or in front of it these days? Oh, I love them both, mm-hmm. um, for in different ways. And you know,
1: I miss being in front of the camera sometimes, but being behind it is so is way more exciting because you're part of so many elements of it from Mm -hmm. writing and directing and the wardrobe and hairstyle like picking everything to create to create it that that is always really exciting to me
0: oh that's wonderful what what are the biggest challenges on being a director
1: (laughs) well with patricia neal it was (laughs) intimidating to try and give her direction but it's really funny i learned a really great lesson with that too there was one line that she wasn't quite saying right, Mm -hmm. and I decided to let it go. And then when she saw it, she said, Why didn't you tell me I said that wrong? (laughs) And I thought, Well, you're Patricia Neal. You're an Academy Award winner.
0: (laughs) That's right. And she said, You're the director.
1: (laughs) Exactly. But it was a great lesson to be able, you know, and 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 I probably should have. But I also was allowing her to have her interpretation of it.
0: That's right. You're giving her some space, weren't you? Yeah. You know know as an actress how important that is. Yeah. Well, well, so now your next upcoming gig is a Canton conversation with Mary McDonough. And this will be taking place October 14th uh, between 6 and 9 p.m. at the Canton Town Hall Auditorium in downtown Collinsville, Connecticut. Tell us a little bit about this, Mary.
1: Oh. Well, Larry DeSilva has put this together and we are going to have so much fun. I hope <laughs> all of you listening come on out. And um we are it's going to be really, really different because we're going there's so many elements of it. First Larry's going to do an interview. So then we'll we'll talk about a lot of different things. We will have books there and there will be um Walton photographs, and then there's a question and answer session with me. So it's a little bit different than my just coming in, doing a speech, and leaving. Mm-hmm. It's way more personal and hands on and intimate.
0: Yeah, and it, it needs it's gonna, to be It's going to be really
1: fun, and then and then there's a meet and greet afterwards. Beautiful. So everybody can hang out and and talk and take selfies, and and so it, it's very it, it's going to be very hands on and. And I'm really looking forward to it.
0: And this is being offered by um, the production company Stars and Legends of Connecticut that's run by Larry De Silva. Is that who we contact for uh, tickets? Yeah.
1: You can call the Canton Town Hall Auditorium. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's the box office there. The number is 860-751-4924. That's
0: brilliant. And
1: or you can um, there's a link also. You can look on my Facebook page mm-hmm. or my website. Mm hmm marymcdonough.com dot com and the order tickets now and save your space and then you know tell everyone you know <laughs> we'll of have course a
0: time this is a great opportunity to talk to this heroine who has been through so Aww. much and she's still holding on to that sword I love this idea about you 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 have covered so many challenges. What would you say is potentially the the real crux of who you are, Mary McDonough?
1: Mm. Um, well, I know I'm a connector, mm-hmm. that's sort of my thing mm-hmm. um, I don't know I would I, I came up with a word like made up a word like causal, I guess. I like to <laughs> create things um and I think for me, the biggest thing is just you know having a voice and and all the trials and tribulations I went through to find my voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, having a megaphone, I'd be megaphone Mary
0: um, (laughs) with my sword,
1: of course. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess, you know, surviving and knowing that what, what is seemingly perfect on the outside, you know, unless you walk a mile in someone's moccasins, you just don't know. That's right. Because people used to always say that, but you have everything. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. And I didn't feel lucky. I felt scared and terrified. And mm-hmm. like I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. So, so for me, I guess that's, that, yeah, that's kind of it. And like to really to really find out, just like in the Waltons, find out who somebody else is mm-hmm. and whether it's a different religion or a different belief or to really sit down with someone and say, what's up with you? How does that
0: work for you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in your work as a life coach, I suppose you're doing for everyone else what John Ritter really did for you, and that's opening a door on, on a potential uh, piece of advice that can change your life.
1: Yeah, and finding out who you are and what you want mm-hmm. and, and why it matters and what's in the way of, of you getting it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of work with those roadblocks, those interior roadblocks with people and groups when I coach. And I coach on the phone, so I coach people all over the place. And I I deal with people who are sick and people who are healthy and people who are in career transition, Mm -hmm. body image issues, people with lupus, people without. And I find that we're all, you know, whenever, like, somebody comes in and says, oh, I want to deal with weight, you know, my weight. And, of course, it's never really about the weight.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's about so much more. That's
0: right. Mm -hmm.
1: And just going inside and having a safe place and a safe person to be able to deal with that. I feel like it's, I wish I had a coach.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I wish that I had had that so much earlier on in my life. So for me, it makes sense that that's what I would share with others.
0: That is so generous and so gracious of you, as I would imagine. Um, this is all thrilling. And I, I suppose with your, your own children, you are encouraging them to be honest with themselves.
1: Oh, yeah. I have three daughters, so, you know, when they, when they, when I see them suffer the same thing, I go, but I, but you, you're so great and I tell you all the time and how can you not feel that about yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes it's really challenging, mm-hmm. but they have their own, their own issues too. And certainly growing up with girls, I feel like I, I have two stepdaughters and one birth daughter and I've always, you know, talked to them about their bodies and, and how they feel about them and to embrace where they are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not to beat themselves up so much And I have to say, I gave my daughter The no That I never had growing up mm-hmm. And it wasn't always the most comfortable thing I'm sure I-, I was never allowed to say no And she has a very strong no
0: oh. But this is all so exciting. This is so good for our listeners to hear, Mary McDonough. You know, it, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. And once again, I just want to remind all of our listeners that Mary McDonough, little Erin from the Waltons, who has <laughs> really grown up, is going to be at the Canton Town Hall Auditorium for Market Street, downtown Collinsville, Connecticut, on October 14th, between six and nine. And, you know, I want to be there because I really want to meet you and hear all all of this firsthand. Mary McDonough, you are a hero in my eyes. Thank you so much. Oh, Kelly, you're too kind. (laughs) Thank you so much. No, I'm not. This is real. And thank you so much. And thank you for being on center stage. And the curtain is now down.